1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 17. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats or be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Titled the sermon today, The Blessing of Suffering. I'm tempted to put a question mark on that title. The Blessing of Suffering? Really? When I hear the word blessing, what I most often think about is peace, joy, things working out according to plans. I rarely, if ever, think of suffering in the context of blessing, let alone suffering that is connected with doing what is right and good. That's exactly what Peter says here. This is God's word. Even if you suffer for doing good, you are blessed. The blessing of suffering? The statement catches your attention and makes you stop and think. Peter goes on to explain this blessing and uses it to teach us how to live in the midst of suffering. I know that many of you have. Many of you are suffering. So I hope these tender words of God, the underlying words of God as well here, would give you guidance, give you comfort. Even if you suffer for doing good, are blessed. Pray that you would come to recognize God's blessing in your suffering. Peter starts by asking, and who is he that will harm you if you become followers what is good? What he's describing here I've called the natural response to those who do good. It's an appeal, in a sense, to human nature. We all like to be around those who are doing good. Put it into a business context. We naturally, a businessman might naturally be, uh, be shrewd, but he wants to have people around him. He wants employees who do what is right. Those who are hardworking and honest. And he wants customers who pay their bills. That's just kind of natural, isn't it? Even in our own lives, the places we choose to live, the people we choose as friends are ones that we want that are, are good people. 
Choose not to associate with those who are violent and crass and who lie about us. Who will harm you if you do good? Well, according to nature, nobody will do that. But Peter gives you a little bit more than natural theology, a a good neighbor policy, you might call it. He calls you to become followers of what is good. By that, the word has the idea of becoming zealous about following Christ in obedience. And doing what is good has that, that idea of following Jesus along his path, even in the midst of suffering. Regardless of how other people treat you, there is a pattern that Jesus sets of doing good. Now, perhaps you've known someone who's outwardly kind to you while others are watching, but then as soon as no one is looking, they change their behavior and deal doubly with you. They suddenly change and they brush you off. That's just sneaky. That's not how a believer in Jesus Christ acts. In fact, when you become a Christian, Jesus changes you from top to bottom, from inside to out, so that in Paul's or Peter's language, when you follow Christ, he leads you to love what is good and to have your eyes set, your heart fixed on doing what is good because of Jesus' love for you. When you genuinely pursue what is good, Peter describes that even non-Christians will notice. That's not just ancient history. It's not just Peter speaking to this. I was, uh, was amazed at how many stories that came out during the midst of COVID. I read accounts of churches and Christian ministries and everyday Christian people who were quietly caring for those who were suffering. They were visiting those who were sick. There were some that were left to die that Christians came along beside. Those that were isolated or in need and followers of Christ were doing good. And that naturally prompts others to uh, respond, to respond in favorable ways. Who will harm you if you do what is good? Well, nobody. Usually. Maybe your mind is worrying at this point. Maybe you're thinking, I can see how that usually happens. But that sure hasn't been my experience. It's not always the case. What should I do if I suffer when I do what is right? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's what Peter turns to next. You might see in the outline for this sermon that this is really the bulk of Peter's message to us. Even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Maybe that surprises you like it surprised me in a sense. That's why I said tempted to put a question mark at the title to this sermon. How can suffering be a blessing? This is where the tenderness of God comes through, and I want to invite you to walk through these verses together with me to find the ways in which Peter demonstrates 
the blessing of God in the midst of your suffering. The first comes really from the context of the entirety of the letter, the blessing of Christ's enduring faithful love for you. Reaching back to chapter 1, Peter said, you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When you suffer... Even if you suffer for doing what is righteous, you are blessed. You are blessed by that enduring, faithful love that Christ has for you. It's that love that secures the inheritance in heaven for you, one that cannot be corrupted, that can never be stolen away. That means it doesn't matter what other people say of you. It doesn't matter what other people think of you doesn't matter what other people do to you. Circumstances and persecution and suffering can never undo what Christ has done for you. He has loved you. He has given his life for you so that you are born again to a living hope and nothing will be able to separate you from him. Here again, the words that Paul gives us that I used as our call to worship today. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ will never let go of you. He will sustain you. And even if you suffer, even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. There's something about suffering that deepens your relationship with Jesus. There's something that deepens your realization for what Christ has done for you. Because as other things are stripped away, you're casting yourself on the one place of hope that you can find. That is the love of God found in Jesus Christ. It heightens your dependence upon him. If God be for you, what can man do? It's part of the question that suffering impresses upon you. Even if you suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Remember, I'm not misspeaking here. These are not my words. They are God's words. In the midst of suffering, you are blessed. Reminded of a book by John Piper as he was diagnosed with cancer. And he said, as a title to that book, Don't Waste Your Cancer.
say the same to you. Don't waste your suffering. No, it's hard. Don't waste your suffering. Find Christ in the midst of it. It's only the first blessing. There's more. Blessing of freedom from fear. Peter goes on, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Since he's saying, don't be afraid. that suffering is hard. But don't get me wrong. Remember that Jesus never promised that you would be free from pain and suffering. Never said that you wouldn't be afflicted with disease or death. Hasn't promised that your life will be one stunning success after another. In fact, his promises are quite the opposite. This is what Jesus says in John 16. In the world you will have tribulation. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. This is the Son of God. Doing what is right. Being persecuted for it. Paul echoes Jesus' words. He says, all who desire to live godly lives will suffer persecution. Note that continued theme in this passage, that there is suffering for living a godly life. How should you respond? Well, from a worldly perspective, or from a perspective without God, there are a few conclusions that people come to. You grit your teeth and you muscle your way through it. Become bitter at your lot in life. Fatalism becomes uh, the, the rule of the day. You become anxious at the next bad thing that will surely come around the corner. You become resigned or depressed. Fear takes hold of you. And takes its toll on you. Jesus, in those words of John 16, went on, While we are in the world, we will have tribulation. But in him, we will have peace. Peace? Really? Blessing? Really? How can this be? Well, it's because... Jesus has overcome the world. It's because God reigns on high. Peter is quoting from Psalm 119, and and throughout the psalm, what, what David does in Psalm 119 is call attention to what the Lord has done that is recorded in his word. And so... We turn to those things. We are reminded of the great.
greatness of God in the midst of our suffering. We're reminded of Jesus and reminded of the promises and the word of God that help us to understand that in Christ we can be free from fear. Even if you suffer for doing good, do not be afraid. Enemies of Christ may intimidate you. They may take everything from you in this world. The enemy Satan may plague you with doubt and despair, but they cannot snatch you from Jesus' hand. Ever. Do not need to be afraid. Third, the blessing of consecration. Peter uses the word sanctify here. Uh, it has multiple meanings, and I'll explain it here in the context of consecration. Listen to verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Uh, to sanctify something is to set it apart for special use. And there's that concept of consecration that comes through. And in this case, Peter calls you to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What Peter has in mind here is that you would regard God as holy and just and good. I want you to think about that in the context of suffering and think of the temptations that you face because he really touches a nerve here. Because when, when you suffer, you face the temptation to think wrongly about God. You might doubt his goodness. You might get angry with him. You might question his power or his very existence. You can hear that voiced by many throughout Christian history, throughout the scriptures itself. But God calls us back to himself to set apart, to consecrate our thoughts about him, to think rightly about God. He has reserved an inheritance in heaven for you, and he is guarding you to receive that inheritance. He is with you in your suffering. He is caring for you, and he calls you, and he equips you to think rightly about him in the midst of that suffering. This isn't a passive thing. The tendency of our minds is to swirl down into doubts and despair and to complaining. It takes faith to believe in this blessed life of suffering. It takes faith and the work of the Holy Spirit to cause you to persevere in, in the path that the Lord has set for you. So as you suffer, consider the blessing of consecration and deliberately turn your minds to think rightly about God. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Train your heart and your mind to think the truth about God. It means to surround yourself with his promises, to surround yourself with his love and his power, and consecrate yourself to this. 
Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Next is the blessing of witness. Not only do you sanctify God in your heart, but you consecrate yourself to his service. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Meekness and fear. I love how this is played out in the narratives of the Bible. I recently read John 9 in my devotions. Jesus healed a man born blind, and everybody knew it. Can't hide such a miraculous happening. So the people all around him went and asked him what had happened. And the man said, Jesus healed me. And this upset the Pharisees. It upset them so much that they came and they argued with this man who had been healed. Uh, He broke the Sabbath day. He's a sinner. We know that. How can this be? To which the man answered essentially, look, this is what I know. Once I was blind, and now I see, and Jesus did it. Jesus did it. This is a simple man. But God gave him the wisdom to speak the truth about the hope that he had. And God will bless you with wisdom and witness as well. Because the world can't help but notice hope in the midst of a dark, dark culture that we live in. God has given you hope. And so Peter says, be ready. Oftentimes when we read this and, and uh, heard exhortations about this as well, and, and you hear that, be ready, and, and the natural response is, well, I'm, I'm not ready. I can't share the gospel. I can't tell about Jesus. But it's not what Peter says. Peter says that there's, something that's already there in you. And that's the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Readiness comes from just telling people about that hope. And just like an untrained blind man, you have the opportunity to say simply, look, this is hard. I'm not sure what will happen. I'm not sure how I will get through this. But I know that Jesus is with me. I know that Jesus is with me. Our dear brothers Mark and Bill have borne this testimony. Such has been the testimony of many of you. Mark and Bill, I've enjoyed hearing about how others have asked them, how they are going through this. Others that are in the treatment center, those that are suffering themselves, those that are the nurses and doctors that are treating them. They point to Jesus for the hope that it's in them. It's the blessing of a witness. In the midst of suffering. 
Fifth, the blessing of a good conscience. Verse 16 goes on to say, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. These words, like the ones preceding, are a blessing and a guide. They are a blessing in this way. If you have done no wrong, then your conscience is clear. It really is quite a blessing. In the face of opposition, in the face of defamation, you can sleep at night because you haven't done wrong. And sometimes in this life, the oppressor comes to know that and is even shamed by the way they have treated you. But even if they don't in this life, God knows and God will bring all to light in the day of his judgment. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He will vindicate you, his child. Now, this isn't easy because no one is perfect. As I reflect on my own life, I see ways in which I have often contributed to the painful things that I go through. But even there, Christ gives us a path to follow, a path of repentance and forgiveness that leads to a clear conscience. And that is a rich blessing. In this way, the blessing of a clear conscience also guides us. It guides you to pursue peace as much as you are able, as far as it is is up to you to pursue peace with those around you. It guides guides you to watch your heart, to bridle your tongue, to put to death in yourself the tendencies to return evil for evil. Finally is the blessing of the will of God. Peter closes this paragraph by saying, For it is better... If it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter's going to have a lot more to say about suffering in the verses that follow. But this is one of those places where we are are brought to a screeching halt once more. Because at the end of the day, what Peter puts in front of you is that is that this is the will of God. The question that we are brought face to face with is, the end of the day, is God God? Is he? If he is, then mysteriously, the blessings and the sufferings of this life happen because it is the will of God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. The burning question in the midst of suffering that we often faced is, why is this happening? And that question often goes unanswered in this life. So, by faith, when you suffer, humble yourself before the Lord as God. Humble yourself in his hand. 
and cast all of your cares on him, for he does care for you. Close this message where I began with a question. The blessing of suffering? Yes. By God's tender mercies, yes. Blessing of suffering. Even if you suffer for doing good. Pray that you and I would recognize God's hand his will, his presence, his love, his blessing, suffering. Amen. Oh God, this is often very hard for us to see. I pray that you would break through the pain and darkness and suffering that we are going through, break through those circumstances, break through our unbelief, break through our sinful responses, help us to see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Providentially, we'll sing Psalm 68F to close this worship service. The Lord gives his people strength and power. Oh, let God blessed be. Let's take up these words and with our faltering faith, profess them before the Lord. Psalm 68F, please stand to sing.